Okay. I think we're finally back on track with the podcast. I just finished updating the show notes, and Michael just arrived and will be here shortly. Jimmy, what's with you and picking fights with our guests? John LeMay, Joy Metter, and now Michael? Hey, Michael might get a bit gatekeeper-y, but comparing him to WHG3 is crossing a line. Am I going to have to separate you two? Apparently, I need to change your moniker to MIFV's sarcastic producer. Look, just take him out to your secret gun range, drink some Jack Daniels, and get over it. Preferably in that order. I don't need you two shooting laser pistols while intoxicated. Anyway, did you post your overdue Jimmy's Notes blog yet? Oh my Godzilla. Jimmy, did you see this press release that was sent out to all island staff? Oh, man. (laughs) Well, for one thing, it's in serious need of copy editing. WHG3 must be pulling double duty as the board's envoy and PR manager with Corone gone. But listen to this. This morning, a class action lawsuit was filed against the Monster Island Board of Directors by legal action team lawyer Raymond Martin on behalf of multiple island staff members and tourists. After the secretive owners of the Monsterland Resort and Monster Island Scientific Facility were recently outed by podcast host and film curator Nate Marchand, multiple island staff members and tourists came forward and reported various illegal activities perpetrated by the board. Martin says this will likely be the first step toward a criminal case. He urges anyone with a grievance against the board to sign the class action suit as soon as as possible. Took the words right out of my mouth. I have an email here from Raymond saying he's going to bring the paperwork for us to sign to get in on this suit after today's broadcast. I'll gladly sign it. (sighs) This won't bring Gary back, but hopefully it gives Raymond at least some closure. I don't know how he does it because he's been overwhelmed with work without his paralegal around. Dude, you stroke your ego more than most people pet there. Must be Michael. Play nice, Jimmy. What now? Not Michael? Then who is it? Hey, Nate! Uh, Gary? Gary! Uh, Don't hug me so tight, Nate! uh, Sorry, sorry. (sighs) I I just had to make sure you weren't a ghost, you know? (laughs) Makes sense. I mean, I have been legally dead for months. Yeah, which brings up the obvious question. How are you not? Turns out, my phone had a transmitter planted in it by the board that attracted the gauss. Dr. Nagamine visited a few weeks ago and found a transceiver in the creature's ear. Let me guess. The board somehow got wind of your meeting with your contact, conveniently let the gauss escape, 
and switched on the transceiver to make it look like an accident. Bingo. I'd say it, it was brilliant if it wasn't so evil. Then was it your contact the Gauss ate? Actually, when I saw the Gauss coming, I panicked and dropped my phone as we ran. So, the lizard dino bird singy ate that and not us. We've been hiding ever since. If I may ask, who's your contact? Would you believe it's pseudo- Ugh. Shitomu Osako? The police detective played by Yukijiro Hotaru in the Heisei Gamera trilogy? Yep. He's been trying to start a private investigation business. But, um, I'm sure his offices were shut down by now. We'll think of some way to help him. In the meantime, stick around because Raymond is stopping by after the broadcast. Oh man, he's gonna freak out. I hope he can get me legally declared alive again. After giving the world's most powerful group of supervillains a legal punch in the nose, that'll be child's play for him. I know, right? I just hope he hasn't burned out from doing all that work by himself. Ask him when he gets here. For now, help yourself to some snacks and soda in the green room. I can neither confirm nor deny that Jimmy has a stash of Jack Daniels in the back of the mini fridge. <laughs> Sweet! Oh, come on! Live from the KIJU studios in beautiful Ogasawara, this is the Monster Island Film Vault, episode 53, Godzilla Raids Again, featuring Michael Hamilton. Hello, Kaiju lovers, and welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. I am your host, Monster Island's very own film curator, Nate Marchand, and with me today is quite possibly one of my most popular guests, maybe, I don't know, he thinks he's the most popular guest I have on this show. <laughs> He is the co-host of Kaiju Weekly, the co-founder of Kaiju Ramen Magazine, an MIFV Max member, and yes, apparently Jimmy's former nemesis. You got a lot of those, man. I mean, you got a whole rogues gallery at this point. Anyway, you know him, you love him, Michael the Kaiju Groupie Hamilton. What's up, bud? How we doing? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> you were. I mean, I had to grab something. I had to grab something out of the green room uh, on my way in. Like they, it, like it's a fully, it's a fully stocked bar back there, man. Like, no. thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate it. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, you guys, you got a pretty good selection. Although I'm not the biggest Jack Daniels fan, so you're gonna have to bring in some more variety next time I'm oh, here. Oh, you, I'll, you found the stash. Oh, I did. Man. I found the stash. Like I wasn't the only one looking through that though. Like Nathan, oh. who's the guy? Who's the guy in the back? I've I, never seen him before. I, don't worry about it. You know, it's uh, you'll find out soon enough. It's all right. Oh, I mean, he was nice enough. He seemed, mm. you know, he seemed pretty cool. He was pretty cordial. He had a bit of a weird accent though. I think the word you're looking for is list, but sure. Uh. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be mean, though. I'm not going to just be like, "Oh, the guy has a lisp." I mean, I, come on. I'm not going to make. I'm not going to make fun of somebody. Like, that a way. lisp. A lisp is not a dirty word around here. Don't worry about it. Okay, well, that's fine. Also, I had another question. What the hell's up with the front of this building, dude? Like, it's 
Like it looks like it's been like literally through hell and back. Like I, I ran into the, some of the mutants are coming in and they're cleaning some kind of weird gunk off the front of the building. Well, you see, Michael, you know how Travis says he has to see the goo? Well, yeah. I think the goo got out for a few minutes last night. Oh, that's kind of it, it, like it's all like weird and like red. Yeah, like I said, uh, I think the goo got out last night and uh, okay. the mutants did mm-hmm. not have a good time cleaning that up and putting it away. I thought it was leftover space gunk from when you got shot into space, but I guess Oh, it might have been that too. It might have attracted the goo, unfortunately. Maybe, maybe. I, that actually kind of does make another make a lot of sense. Also, another question, what happened to all like all to all the nifty Gamera King of the Monsters posters that were hung on Main Street coming into the coming towards the the radio station? Oh, you apparently didn't see on Twitter, did you? No, I've been kind of staying off of Twitter. It's too bad bad you weren't here on Godzilla Day because the board reversed their decision. What? The board board reversed the decision? Yes. Yes. Did you not hear uh, episode 50 and all that? I outed the board. Did you know I worked for supervillains? No, I haven't listened to episode 50 yet. Uh, you jerk. Yeah, some fan you are. But <laughs> I mean, I've had I've had stuff to do, man. I got I'm I, running a magazine. I'm I, I'm, you know, doing the majority of the work on Kaiju Weekly trying to like <laughs> trying to nurse Travis back to health. I mean, it's like it's a lot of work, dude. Like I, I don't have I don't have all the time anymore. Plus, I'm trying to get a little bit of an uptick in my personal life, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, I understand. But anyway, I outed the board because I found out that they were all a bunch of supervillains, which explains a lot of things that have been going on now, okay. on so the what, uh, on the no, island. No, no, and no, then no, the, no, um, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. There's nothing wrong with supervillains. Supervillains are people, too, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. And they also like torturing their employees and trying to murder people. Well, you know, if, from my perspective, as a listener of MIFV, I've been thoroughly entertained the last year, right. to be quite honest with you. Sure you have been. But anyway, unfortunately, because they have been outed, and I just found out this morning that there is a class action lawsuit that's being filed against them by employees oh. of the island and tourists for you know various grievances, and... Unfortunately, attendance uh, on the island has been dropping. In fact, I'm a little bit scared about my job security. Is the park still open? The park wanna... is still open. It's just that attendance okay. is down. And okay. the board, I think, decided that in order to you know, try to compensate for the fact that all a bunch of supervillains are about to be taken to task over their supervillainy, they decided to reverse their decision and return the title of King of the Monsters to Godzilla. On his birthday, Since, I might add. On his on his birthday, which is appropriate because you know Godzilla is more important than Gamera anyway, and it's his birthday. So, mm-hmm. and heck, even uh, even Gamera on Twitter was very cordial about it. He was totally okay with it. Oh, well, that's good. At least the big Terrapin was in agreement. That's mm-hmm. that's really all that matters. Now, here's the thing that matters to me: is there any way that you can get your hands on one of those posters? Because I would love to take one home with me. You know, I might. I might have one or two in my quarters oh. here on the island, and you are welcome and the, to it. And the flags too. I want one of the flags that were hanging out in front of the in, in front of the KIJU studio as well. You'll have to talk to Jimmy about that one because I don't have one. 
Oh, Jimmy, come on, man. I mean, you you didn't even come and pick me up this time around. Like, so could you please, you know, could you please do an old pal a favor there, Jim? There, Jimbo. I know that Danny's the only one that's allowed to call you Jimbo, but I figured since I was your former nemesis and not your nemesis per se, you know, you could do an old friend a solid. I appreciate that, Jimmy. I really do. Yes. You're you're a good you're a good dude. I don't care what Nate says about you. What? What are you talking about? The, the man sa- helped save my life when I got shot into space. Ah, uh, that. Okay. Well, okay. That's fine. You know, that's fine. Jimmy, it's Nate has never said anything out of the way about you at all. To the best of my knowledge, I can neither confirm nor deny that he said something to me late one night. We're not going to go there. Let's, yeah, let's, we're let's just, let's not. Just because, let's just move on. Let's just move on. Yeah, we're not because that's not. In- Entirely accurate, but you know, Jimmy and I have worked out our differences. I know there was a time people thought we hated each other, but we really don't. It's just, it's for the show, you know. The truth, the truth is fungible, Nathan. You know that. Yes. Anyway, how'd you get to the island? Actually, how the way I got to the island is pretty pedestrian. You know. Okay, so anytime I have to come, anytime I know that I have to come to the island, I always go through because I'm a I'm a really big procedures and processes guy. I do it with my day job. We lean a lot on procedures and processes. I respect them. Yada yada yada. Although they can be a little bit of a headache sometimes. But I digress. So typically, before I'm going to come to the island, I put in for a security detail request because you know. Things have been a little, let's just say, weird here on the island. So uh-huh. a little bit, a little bit of extra security would make me feel a whole lot better. So anyway, I put in for a security request. I filed that with the board, and then about two weeks later, I got a letter in the mail, a very formal, well-written, sort of smelling like cigar letter in the mail. Yeah, I know which uh, board member wrote that one. Then I have a feeling as well, but. It said that my security request had been denied, which I thought was strange. So anyway. Which makes sense uh, because the the board's envoy tried to take over my show while I was shot into space and canceled all of my guest invitations. And I've, Jimmy, I have been desperately trying to fix that. I did listen to that episode. I will say that is one of the few episodes I've listened to recently was the, what is the Monster Island uh, Gatekeepers gatekeepers podcast or something like yeah. that i can't remember it was him and the sticky guy what's his name dr Dorf. uh doctor okay the man i just called him the mayonnaise guy because of the weird <laughs> comment that the other one made about each other uh, mayo but, man yeah. mayo man yeah we'll go with mayo man anyway i died like that's that's neither here nor there so anyway i i got a little concerned after i got my letter from the board i emailed jimmy and strangely Jimmy didn't even respond to my email. I don't know if you were busy, but typically Jimmy responds to my email. He tells me when he's going to come and pick me up and what he's going to be driving so that I know to look for him. Well, I got nothing. So I had to schedule a commercial flight on Southwest and to get to the island. So, I mean, it was pretty pedestrian, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. Although the upside was I didn't have to wear a mask while I was on the plane. So that's Uh, Oh, well. Jimmy doesn't make people wear a mask when he flies them here with his robots and ships anyway. So, well, that's, that's because Jimmy wears a hazmat suit when he's driving, whatever he's bringing, because he just doesn't, I guess he just doesn't trust people. I mean, I'm a cautious guy too, Jimmy. I get it, but it makes you look kind of like a crazy conspiracy theorist. Not going to lie. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 
I think they're probably old board mandates that you know probably will start getting reversed as well, like everything else. Because well, I don't know. <laughs> oh, speaking of speaking of board mandates and things getting reversed, do you think they're ever going to get rid of those ridiculous pink jumpsuits? You two oh, I'm uh, I'm already petitioning for it, and let me say. I know a really good lawyer, and I think I've got some leverage considering that, well, you know, I blew their cover. So I hope so. <laughs> Maybe before I leave, if I run into any of the board members, because sometimes I'll run into what's his name? The little British guy, the little British man. What oh, <laughs> uh, Mr. William H. George III Esquire. Yeah, sometimes I'll sometimes I'll run into him at the pub near the near the gift shop. And I'll I'll tell you what, I'll put in a good word for you guys and Maybe he'll change the color to say, I don't know, canary yellow. It'll match your eyes. <laughs> uh, you, well, you must be wearing some very strange contacts because I don't know how my eyes are yellow. Do I look like data to you? No, but you have that you have that steely blue eye tint to <laughs> you have that steely blue tint to your eyes that I think a nice pop of yellow could really bring out. Well, I and then Jim, and then Jimmy has those mud brown eyes that you know. I don't know what you're going to do about that, Jim, but still, I think you'd look good in yellow. Yeah, I do like bright colors. Anyway, the now that story time with Michael is over, we're here to talk about Godzilla Raids again as part of Godzilla Redux. Getting back to that sub-series here because, hey, I talked about Godzilla films in my previous podcast life, but you know what? I decided mm, I can do it better. <laughs> I really appreciate the fact that you're redoing some of these Godzilla films because it's about time. I, I got to be quite honest with you and don't tell anybody I said this, but I kind of got tired of camera. <laughs> you're not the only one. I, <laughs> plus, as I said, the, when I first announced these episodes, Godzilla is good for business. So <laughs> Godzilla is good for very good business. Yes. Yes. And the reason I'm having you on is it's actually a little bit of a unique story. And I, I let I want to lead with this because Godzilla Raids Again was your first Godzilla film. And it was. You yeah. are the only person I know who started with this one. Mm -hmm. And it's the complete opposite of for me, because Godzilla Reads Again was one of the last Godzilla movies that I saw for the first time. And I'm pretty sure it was the last of the Showa movies that I saw for the first time. Because it was a pain in the neck to find for years. Really? It was, yeah, it, it really was. Until Classic Media released it on DVD, it was almost impossible to find. It got released on VHS once, I think, in the late 80s. And that was the Gigantis version. And so it was... Very difficult to come by unless you went by <clears throat> other methods. What other methods, like like back alley DVD, like that back alley DVD retailers? Like what other methods Basically. are you talking about? Okay, just just asking. Yeah, I mean, what you what you do in the off hours is your business. I have my ways. <laughs> right, but yeah, you're right. So this was my first G film. I remember watching this as a child. It used to come on TMC or AMC all the time. It was, but back then it was, it was called, you know, it was called Gigantus the Fire Monster. Sometimes, depending on what channel it was on, sometimes on the TV guide back when that was a thing, sometimes it, they would call it Godzilla Raids again. But for the most part, I knew it as Gigantus the Fire Monster. And I remember thinking to myself, hey, that kind of looks like Godzilla. But they're not calling him Godzilla. They're calling him Gigantus. And I don't, and my little brain does not understand why that is. It's 
it was because it was, you know, for not until many, many, many years later, I found out that it was actually, oh, hey, that's Godzilla. That's a sequel to 1954. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I did start with Godzilla Raids again. It does hold a very special place in my heart, specifically the dub with all of mm-hmm. its flaws and beauty. Oh, man. We'll get into uh, it. We'll get into uh, it. <laughs> but I, I do. I appreciate Godzilla Raids again for, for getting me started in the Godzilla franchise. And if I'm not mistaken... It was part of the lineup for, I think it was TNT's Monster Vision, Monster Vision like '94 or something like that, mm. uh, Godzillathon, whatever. I can find the old. I, I could probably look it up on YouTube and mm-hmm. and find the old TV commercial for it. Mm. But yeah, if anyone out, if any of your listeners out there remember that marathon back, I think it was New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. That's really how I got exposed to Godzilla and how I got exposed to this movie because it literally was the first movie that I ever watched with technically Godzilla in it. In fact, one of my old videotapes, because my parents were fantastic people and would record for me anytime they knew a Godzilla movie was going to come on television, they would record a copy. And the the very my very first copy of Godzilla Raids again start just it, the tape started with the scene where they're showing the rampage from 1964 in the video clip inside the 1954? 1954. What I say? 1950. You said 1964. Apparently, Godzilla can time travel. Yes, Godzilla. (laughs) Well, I mean, there is Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, which is the which is the greatest Heisei film of all time. But we're not going to. We're not here to talk about that. We're not. Yeah, that's the wow. Anyway. We're not uh, here to talk about it, it. Just because it was me who caught it and not Jimmy, I uh, I beat him to it. You know, we've been it's Jimmy fine. and I've been at this for so long now that now I know when he's about to hit that button. So like, nope, not this time, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. So that's sort of the the brief story of how I found this, how I found and discovered this movie. And you know, I just liked giant monsters and Godzilla and you know what I didn't know was Godzilla at the time, at least I just like dinosaur movies in general because I was exposed to Harryhausen and power Rangers before I was ever exposed to Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once I found, once I found Godzilla, I was just like, man, that's, this is, this is where it's at. Like, like who's, who are these other monsters? Like who's that King something or other, the giant, the giant ape, who is that guy? Like no one cares about that guy. Give me the giant <laughs> fire, fire breathing lizard. That's a good point, Jimmy. We might want to keep you away from Kong's turf for a while after that statement. No, I'd still like to go see Kong. Like after I leave, like I always ask Jimmy if he'll take me to go over, if he'll take me over to the the compound where where Kong hangs out. But Jimmy never seems to have the time to take me. He's always off to some. I'm thinking he's probably honestly just between between us. I think Jimmy's just you know trying to hit the sauce. Like after these episodes, for, you know. After recent events, I don't blame him. Anyway, uh, since you, know, you are the guest and it's your first Godzilla film, would you like to give us the plot breakdown? Because I do try to give a little plot breakdown for episodes like this where I'm not doing the entertaining info dump. Yeah. So the plot breakdown is basically Laurel and Hardy are fighter pilots and they crash land on an island that happens to have Godzilla and Angilas on it. <laughs> They'd see Godzilla and Angilas fighting. Godzilla and Angilas falls into the sea and then they go back to Osaka where their love triangle with this other chick picks up some steam and then Godzilla shows up and wrecks some shit 
And then, uh, <laughs> where's Jet? <laughs> Is Jet in the then, house? <laughs> and then Angiris shows up and wrecks some more. Shit, and then Godzilla kills Angiris. And then they go and follow Godzilla to an iceberg. And they ram the Titanic into it, burying him beneath the iceberg and where he will sleep until 1962. And he fights King Kong and effectively beats King Kong. Uh, <laughs> and King Kong just kind of, he just kind of swims away because he's scared of Godzilla. Um, and so Godzilla <laughs> is the hero in that movie. And no one can tell me otherwise. Yes, you are here by dubbed Stanzilla. <laughs> I am because I stand Godzilla. I do. I stand Godzilla. I know there's like Kong fans out there and I'm not trying to judge all the Kong fans out there, but you know, how can you like a damn dirty ape over this magnificent fire breathing beast that I currently see out the window? What in the hell is he doing? Like, what is he eating? Anyway, whatever. I'm not. I, uh, is he occasionally, you know, pokes his head over here? Because apparently, uh, uh, Jimmy, are you still broadcasting the show out to on the loudspeakers to the island for the kaiju? <laughs> of course you are. But so uh, he sometimes he comes in and checks on us. Okay. I mean, it, it, he's just kind of hanging. I don't know what he's doing. He's just kind of hanging out out there. Like, he looks like he's doing a little dance or something. I don't know what's going on. It's crazy. This place yeah. is crazy. Yeah, it is. Ah, okay, Jet. You go manage that for a little while. Yeah, and uh, Jet, you might want to sure stick around bleep, and make sure you bleep Michael. Just yeah. I was gonna say you might want to stick around and just in case I drop some other bombs on the show, mm -hmm. just because you know I just think it's fun that Nate has to edit those out. <laughs> no, it's uh, he's the dump button. So <laughs> anyway, that, that actually was not too far off. I have to say. What the Laurel and Hardy part, or the uh, the whole thing? That was actually oh, okay. uh, weirdly accurate. I have to say, I know you're a little bit more partial to the dubbed version. The you know we watched the Japanese version for today's broadcast. Although I did watch both in anticipation of your visit, and I'm going to say the, even just even going by the Japanese version, it's okay. You're, it's because you're an anti-dub elitist. <laughs> I. I, I no, I'm saying the Japanese version is okay. I mean, the dub's both, got issues, no, but they're kind they're of both, funny. It, to be they're honest, they're both fantastic movies. But you need to just admit that you're an anti-dub elitist. Oh, really? Anti-dub elitist? Am I? I grew up on those dubs just as much as you did, sir. I don't know. I have. I question. I question your authority when it comes to these films. Sometimes. Oh. <laughs> have fun with that <laughs> do we really need to talk about the gamma trilogy right now no you don't that uh, <laughs> that is a kaiju sized can of worms that you don't want to open unless your name is paul atreides i'm just saying oh okay okay here we go okay all right well i will say this i'm a little bit jealous of kim that she got to talk about Gamera 3 when I explicitly asked you for months to talk about Gamera 3. You know, I, I see where I see where your allegiance lies. It's fine. You're welcome. Anyway, so getting back to Godzilla Raids again, mm -hmm. this actually it's funny that you bring up King Kong because this actually has a lot of parallels with Kong. Where, you know, Godzilla 54 and King Kong were these massive kind of surprise hits. 
And then mm-hmm. the studio said, hey, this is making money. Crank out a sequel. And then within six months, mm-hmm. there was a sequel. In Kong's yep. case, it was Son of Kong. Listen to episode four of MIFV to learn more about that film. And this is basically the same thing. Within six months, this movie was released to cash in on the success of Godzilla. And you can mm-hmm. tell. <laughs> it feels a bit rushed a little at points. Bit. Especially at the beginning, there's a lot of just filler. <laughs> it's just lots of sequences with no dialogue and not even hardly any music at points, too, which is kind of weird because they have Masaru Sato composing for this movie. And Sato did several other Godzilla films in the Showa era, and his scores are fantastic. In fact, one mm-hmm. of his scores I know is one of your favorites, that being his score for Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 74. So I hate that score. Uh, yeah, you're a liar is what you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. I love Mechagodzilla. It's, one, it's, it's probably my favorite score aside from... Actually, I, th- I really am partial to Godzilla vs. Me- the score from Godzilla vs. Megalon. Because I think that's a fun score. Which I think was also uh, Sato. And Godzilla, well, this is Ishiro Honda, but... No, I excuse liked, me. Uh, no, excuse me. Megalon was not Sato. Sorry. Retracting that. Well, I'm primarily a... Ha- I, I'm not Ishiro Honda, but a, a Fukabe score. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a primarily a, a Fukabe stan when it comes to Godzilla scores, like such as, you know, Godzilla for or Mothra versus Godzilla from 64, Ghidorah the three-headed monster. But man, I there's just something about there's just something about that Mechagodzilla score that ju- it's just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the 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 story in this is also it's a little bit recycled from the first movie, but it's also fairly different. And one thing you did get wrong, I would say in your plot synopsis is that there isn't a love triangle in this. That is a different girl. That's just uh, Yogi Kobayashi <laughs> asking for girl advice. <laughs> Whoops. So, so there's a lot of similarities, and I've some of the commentators that I looked at talking about this film actually made the argument that, uh, considering that most of the creative team that worked on this was completely different from the original movie, they made the argument that this is probably how Godzilla Fifty Four would have turned out had it not had people like. Honda and the you know and everyone else who worked on it to right. elevate the movie because this one is it's a little bit more by the numbers. There isn't quite as much gravity in this. It has a few scenes where where the gravity is very thick and I really like it. But and it has some really good cinematography too. Yeah, but you know it was directed by Motoyoshi Oda. Who <laughs> did you notice in the credits? <laughs> oh, in the dub version, his uh, his name gets misspelled. A lot of people's names get misspelled. Oh, his was horribly misspelled. It's, uh, they spelled his name O-D-Q. But he was kind of a B-list talent at Toho. His uh, <laughs> Stuart Galbraith described his style as, get it done by Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> He was a quantity over quality sort of guy. He was directing five movies a year on average. However, the funny thing is, is he didn't direct too much longer after this movie. This was 1955, and his the last movie he directed was 1958, and then he died in 1973. Um, but like but I said, I you know, think- it was meant to be this cash grab sequel, so they went and got the guy who was known for getting stuff done quick. So, right. Right. And, 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 you know, it, the, I did watch the Japanese version as well. I actually, I watched both versions. I watched, 
the Japanese version first because I don't watch that one that often because I'm so partial to the dub. And then I watched the dub, but with commentary. I did that as I well. Was, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I watched the dub with commentary, and I thought the du- I thought that commentary thing was Steve Rifle, Ed Godachewski, and I cannot. Yeah, it's uh, billed as Steve Rifle and Friends. Right. Yeah, it's that. But I cannot remember the the third gentleman's name. He, he told a very interesting story about going to see the Godzilla and Angira suits because they told a really interesting story about how there was actually supposed to be extra footage shot for this movie for the American version. But it yes, just never, yes. it never, uh, which, it never uh, happened. Yeah, I looked into that thanks to John LeMay's books. He has uh, He talks about this in several of them. It's, it was supposed to be called The Volcano Monsters. It's actually something I talk about a little bit more with Chris Cook when I did a Godzilla Unmade episode with him on One Cross Radio. The Volcano Monsters was what they were originally going to do with this movie before they decided to just dub it. So they were basically going to pull the reverse of King of the Monsters 56 where they just took the monster footage and just edited that in with a whole new set of characters and a new story and everything. And they did get Toho to send them the suits that they used in mm-hmm. the movie because they were going to film at least a little bit more monster footage to use in the film. It ended up falling through and they just went ahead with dubbing the thing. But it was done sh- by the by the same TV studio that eventually... It <laughs> gave that treatment to Varan. <laughs> Which is kind of a shame because I feel like the American version, although I'm nostalgic for it, does feel like just every run-of-the-mill 1950s monster movie with the, the focus on American ingenuity and military power and the, and the nuclear scare, you know, all that stuff. Like, the, like there was a big focus on... Uh, American militar militarism. I hope that's the right word I'm using in the, at least specifically in the, in the American version, but the, the Japanese version that we both watched, I always forget how quiet that movie is. It is, and, which is one of the things that's starkly different with the dub version. It, the dub version doesn't know when to shut up. <laughs> yeah. Between the voiceover and the constant score, the constant recycled stock music score yeah, from, uh, was a yeah. Chronos uh, uh, and the deer slayer. And it's being narrated by key Luke. I thought for years it was George Takei. It's not George Takei. It's key Luke, <laughs> but George Takei well, is in George, the movie. George Takei, George Takei is Takei, voices yes. in the movie. It was one of he, his he, first he, roles. He plays uh, several voices in the movie. In fact, there's a, a thing. If you go back and watch the dub, he is the military general barking out orders as mm-hmm. they're setting the as they're setting the uh, barrels out to try to capture Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can hear him. You can hear him. <laughs> but oh my gosh, the the dub. Anyway, we'll talk about the dub a little bit later. But yeah, it's it's weird. The I know some people think that King of the Monsters is a bastardization of Godzilla 54. And I can kind of understand that, but I feel like despite the fact that some of the same producers worked on the dub version for this, I feel like Gigantus is far more disrespectful <laughs> than the other one. And they did less to it in terms of re-editing the footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, man. But barring that... What's interesting about this movie is that it's, in, a, in some ways, like I said, it's a little bit of a reversal of Godzilla 54. This one's unique in that the characters in this are just working class, ordinary people. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, well, except for two of our lead characters, they seem a little bit wealthier than. Oh, yeah, they're the, uh, the girl. The girl. The girl, the, the girl. who's uh, engaged to, uh, his name is escaping me subtly, but uh, he's engaged to our main character. Yeah. yeah she but comes the rest from a wealthy family, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but the but rest of the cast, work, right. but she has just a run-of-the-mill dispatcher job, so she's she's a working-class person, despite probably coming from a well-to-do family. Mm-hmm. Well, it, yeah, you're right. It 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 does it. This movie does have some, you know, it, are working a better for the lack of better term, working-class heroes, because in every other Godzilla film, primarily the main, the human characters, the human protagonists are you know, members of the military or members of government or some high uh, corporate job, maybe like a corporate CEO or something of that nature. It's very, it's rare that we get kind of this working class hero cast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way I, uh, with some of the commentary that I looked up for this said, if Godzilla 54 was an allegory for the war, although there's some shades of the war in this film for sure, mm-hmm. the, just not nearly as much as Godzilla 54, then this is an allegory for Japan's optimistic post-war rebuilding. Hence why the characters in this are weirdly cheery. <laughs> they're yeah, all like, Godzilla trashes Osaka and destroys the cannery, and they're just like, eh, okay, you know, that's that was bad, but, you know, it's... Because forward. there's a lot of footage, there's a lot of footage in the Japanese version there's it, it's it's kept in the american version as well but there's a lot of footage in the in the japanese version that shows like bright city lights and what appears to be like economic prosperity you know basically that's it's kind of giving this picture you know that japan is, is seemingly back on its feet whereas you know in the dub it opens up with this what i would what i would imagine you know from the from a westerner's perspective what what the west thought of japan as just being kind of you know backward uh, you know backward rice farmers or something yeah. like that yeah it's kind of exoticize it was exoticizing the uh, japan but also kind of presenting it in a bit of a stereotypical light as well so it's kind mm-hmm. of it's kind of weird but yeah, definitely indicative of the times. That's for sure. And you know, another thing that's interesting about this, you know, we talked about the, you know, there is a romantic subplot in this because our main character is engaged, just like mm-hmm. we had, you know, we had stuff like that in the original. But this one is different in that it's kind of also showing, uh, you know, Japan being modernized. I talked about in the Godzilla Fifty Four episode about how that film was showing Japan in a bit of a cultural transition going from the old ways of arranged marriage to mm-hmm. the more modern Western concept of dating. And in this one, that's taken a step further. And we have our hero, the you know the survey pilot, and his dispatcher girlfriend who are just flat out flirting over the radio and gossiping. And, <laughs> you know? Right. It's, it's very Westernized. <laughs> it's very, like, very. Yeah. And it's, it's like, I was listening to the, I think I was listening to the commentary and they mentioned that, you know, it is sort of a trope of 1950s monster movies to have some sort of nightclub scene. It, and I think you see this a lot in, in, in the Japanese monster movies as well. And fa- most famously War of the Gargantuas. But it seems like they're in these earlier films. There are a lot of like nightclub scenes that feel very Western. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, it's showing the continued modernization and westernization of Japan. It's almost like if Japan was in transition to Godzilla 54, this is showing Japan completing that transition in one form or another, at least when it came to that. Well, it also helps that this is Osaka and not Tokyo. Yeah. That, so that's another thing that's different, which is also, in a weird way, even though this was made before King of the Monsters 56, it's all it's kind of a prophetic fulfillment of something that Steve Martin said in, in King of the Monsters 56, which is that he said, hey, t- t- today it was Tokyo, tomorrow it might be Osaka. Well, guess what? He ended up being right! <laughs> so, well, we talk about this as a sequel. Now, the show of uh, series is known for having a lose continuity well the interesting thing about this is that there's actually some fairly close ties to the first movie which if you're used to the looser continuity of the 60s and 70s films this one is a little bit surprising in that regard because we actually have dr yamane with takashi shimura he's in this movie now it's basically a glorified cameo but right he's in the movie he's the only character who comes back but he's in the movie and He's, uh, I mean, Dr. Yamane said at the end of that movie, it's like, hey, you know, there might be another Godzilla, and he ended up being right. So he's basically being proven right in this. Yeah, and we're basically, it, it basically implies that this is the Godzilla that would take us all the way through Destroya. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least through the rest of the Showa era. Right, yeah. Yeah, because it's not the first, same Godzilla. They say, oh, it's a member of the same species. And then in the Japanese version, <laughs> the, he says, here, I need to illustrate something too. Cause he shows up in this meeting where they're all like, oh my gosh, more kaiju. And so he shows them footage from the original movie. That's supposed to be mm. when Godzilla attacked Tokyo. And in the Japanese version, it's completely silent. So you're seeing clips of yeah. the first movie with no sound or music. And it's, kind of eerie to be honest it it is it it is very eerie and i think that's i think i like this part more than the dubbed version where you get the extra footage of <laughs> <laughs> now don't get me i love the dub version because of its charm and the, it's like this is one of the one of the more charming aspects of the dub version the added footage of what appears to be and i think i think steve rifle pointed this out what appears to be footage from tr- with from educational videos from children. Yeah, I think someone children's- has figured out what it's from, but I didn't come across it when I was looking at my research. Mm-hmm. That's something for you to add to your follow-up blog, Jimmy. Because <laughs> I think they figured out where it's from. Yeah, like the I know the footage of the guys in the rubber dinosaur suits. That's from like something planet or yeah. something. What I don't know. It was like they something, something that's planet. From. Yeah. Yeah. The rest, but of, the it rest has, of it, they the, were a little bit unsure. Yeah. And Rifle referred to it. It's actually one of the best jokes. He tries to be pretty funny in that commentary. But this was probably my favorite joke in the whole thing where he said that it was a documentary on unintelligent design. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was, I mean, that was pretty funny. In fact, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to, no, no offense to Steve, but like some of his commentary sometimes comes off as really dry. I think that. Uh-huh. 
I think that little joke, kind of that dry humor joke, it did make me chuckle as mm-hmm. well. I actually mm-hmm. enjoy the Ed Godicheski commentaries usually, t- typically more because I think Ed has a little bit more of a livelier tone to his voice mm-hmm. when he's when he talks about these films. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but then there's talk about Doctor Sarazawa and the oxygen destroyer, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Well, we can't use the oxygen destroyer again because we only have one, and the inventor is dead." And so and. Then we have this interesting statement that I'm like, I wonder if anyone has tried testing this on the island. But apparently Godzilla doesn't like bright lights because it reminds him of the H-bomb test that mutated him or woke him up or something. So I guess Godzilla has PTSD. <laughs> Atomic I mean, PTSD. <laughs> I'm, I mean, maybe. I mean, I mean, maybe he has... At- I mean, for as much as the big guy's been through, I would have... PTSD out the uh, <laughs> where's jet <laughs> uh, yeah I totally I totally understand it and it's one of the subtle restatements of the anti-nuclear mm-hmm. theme from the original movie yeah but the anti-nuclear stuff is not nearly as big of a deal in this it's this movie is no even in the Japanese even things. in the Japanese cut it's even not made a huge deal of yeah yeah, it's more focused on other things, which is totally fine. You, you know, it's you can't catch the you know that lightning in a bottle again. But mm-hmm. something that, even though I would say that this is it's it's a middling entry in the Godzilla series, but there's a couple of things that it is that's very important for it, mm-hmm. and that is probably its biggest contribution. Well, two things. It has two major contributions, and they're related. One. Is the introduction of a boy, Angras, and Giras, killer of the living, killer of the living. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a blockbuster of a bestseller, doesn't it? Ankylosaurus, killer of the living. <laughs> yes, yes. I want Angras. that movie now. I, I really want that movie. <laughs> it sounds like a. It sounds like leg- a dinosaur slasher movie. <laughs> I literally thought for many, many years while I was young and stupid, I literally thought that Angiris... You're still one of those, but... (laughs) Yes, thank you. I do. I am am pretty young. Uh, But this movie corrupted my brain to actually think that Angiris was just a four-legged Godzilla. (laughs) <laughs> or, or 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 Godzilla was a two-legged Anguirus. You know, this this movie damaged my psyche that much growing up as a child. You know, it wasn't but many, many years later that I found that wasn't true. Uh, well, th- th- you know, this- it's funny that you bring up uh, strange facts about Anguirus. Something that I, I remember you and me and Travis and all that, we saw this on Twitter and we're like, really? No, there's no way. There's no way. Uh, there's no way. All the wikis are wrong. And then I watched this movie and I'm like, oh, it is in the movies and not in some extra, you know, supplementary about Anguirus having three brains uh, yes. or something like that. Yeah, it's actually stated outright. Yes, in the movie, mm-hmm. although it was stated by a Polish scientist in a paper. I mean, okay, okay. all right, whatever. But it's it's canon, so yeah, Anguirus so, uh, has- yeah, and it's it's not like I said, it's not supplementary material. It is text. <laughs> I had just forgotten about that. Did you think it was just out of curiosity? Did you think it was weird that even in the Japanese version, they were reading in Japanese 
out of an American got uh, out of an American uh, dinosaur textbook. Did anybody, anybody else think that was weird? Well, I mean, don't you know that the most important dinosaur information is in English language children's textbooks? That's just how this works. Honestly, after watching this movie, this time around i tried to find that book on ebay and i cannot find it <laughs> well somebody found one from a different movie <laughs> from yeah from the follow from the movie that comes after this one yeah our friend mm-hmm. danny found the one he found the one that is referenced in king kong versus godzilla the american version which you know you can still find that one i mm. want the one from this movie Good luck with that. If you find it, let me know. I might have to get it for the Sekizawa Library here on the island. But Mm -hmm. the other big contribution that this makes to the franchise, so besides fan-favorite Anguirus, this is, I wouldn't say it's not the first of its kind, but it's the first in the Godzilla franchise, kaiju fights. Yep. This is is the first kaiju fight, and you can tell it's the first. Well, it was a crew of what interns or like fresh... it was uh, of rookie cameramen who were working with R- Superaya, yeah. and mm-hmm. th- w- they were using three cameras, and one of them was set to the wrong speed. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, two were set to record in seventy-two frames per second, and then another one at guy accidentally set it to eighteen frames a second. Hence, why when they're when you see the fight when they're editing all the footage together so they go from being big slow and lumbering like we all know those kaiju to being 5 year olds on caffeine and sugar <laughs> that was, uh, yeah. i was like where did that sugar buzz come guys <laughs> Well, it's like, obviously Red Bull gives Godzilla wings, or at least, uh, this is, this is, no, this is Godzilla. only Shin Godzilla might have wings, but, uh, don't get me started on Shin Godzilla, but yeah, th- this is, this is Godzilla on Red Bull. Yeah. He gave it to Angerus too. Seriously. Yeah. And apparently yeah. they recorded it that way. Subaraya looked at the footage and. He'd say, hey, you know, it still looks pretty good. And we don't know if he actually meant it or if he was just trying to cover for the poor cameraman. <laughs> well, he was probably trying not to get the cam- the poor cameraman fired. And honestly, probably for the sake of time, it's like he knew that he couldn't go back and refilm or didn't have time to. He's like, yeah, okay, let's they, let's They were on a tight time crunch. It. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, let's yeah, just it, use it. Yeah. And like I said, that's the thing. The effects in this movie especially compared to Godzilla they're 54. Not they're, uh, they're not terrible, but they're really uneven. Sometimes they're really good, and other times they're not. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, the, there's a lot of uses of hand puppets in this movie. Oh my gosh, so many hand puppets. <laughs> there's so many hand puppets. It's like Elmo breathes fire, or Elmo... <laughs> Our, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Elmo breathes atomic water mist is is what uh, uh, is what was actually kind of going on. It's like, and I love that Anger is, is just mildly irritated by. It. He's like, he's like, it's like, quit that, stop. It's like my it's like my cat. Whenever I have to when I have to spray my cat because he won't do what I tell him to do, he won't get off the counter. So I spray him with a water bottle. So are, he's kind of. Lo- are you saying Angerus is more of a cat or a dog? <laughs> I don't know. He's a good boy. So I'm going to say, I'm going to assume he's a dog, but he has, yeah, very I, I guess ca- it depends. Cause apparently you exude the same kind of energy. Uh, you should go meet Angerus and he, he'll probably be like, I like you. You give me the same energy. <laughs> I'd like to scratch Angerus under his chin. Maybe Jimmy, can you get that? Can you make that an arrangement? Can you, can we do that on the tour today? Can I visit Angerus and scratch his under his little kaiju chin? 
I mean, I'm not terribly worried about radiation poisoning, but sure. Like, if you need me to put, I don't think he's radioactive. Well, I mean, but you never know what kind of weird diseases these kaiju have. This is true. This is true. We did have to deal with some kaiju COVID last year. Yeah, I heard about that, about some of the kaiju getting sick. Mm -hmm. And apparently, Mm -hmm. oh, really quickly, do you guys have the aviary shut down? Has that whole thing been resolved? Oh, that's been taken care of. Okay, Let me tell you, uh, that's been taken care of. uh, Yeah. Don't worry about it. I don't want to have to become a consumed individual myself. Uh, No, you don't. You don't. No, 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 no. But... But I don't think you have to worry about Kaiju COVID either. That was the Redosaurus. We call him Red. He was oh, the one okay. that yeah, he was the he was patient zero with that, and that's been taken care Interesting. of. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It makes sense because you know if I'm not mistaken, you know the Redosaurus did give off that weird like kind of disease. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah. That, so he's been quarantined and he's been treated. He's fine. Everything's sure. fine now. Fine now. Yes. Sure. Now. Okay. How are you? But anyway, anyway. but anyway, <laughs> hand puppets. Hand, yeah. hand puppets. Yeah. Radioactive so many Elmo. Hand puppets. <laughs> Radioactive Elmo. Uh, There's a hype meme. <laughs> radio- Hi there, Anguirus. <laughs> Check out my radioactive morning breath. <laughs> <laughs> but so many hand puppets, and I get it. Like that's that's part of the charm of this movie, though. I just mm-hmm. wish that the hand puppets were a little bit more consistent with the actual design of the kaiju. Well, they, uh, I mean, rede- they redesigned Godzilla a bit in this. The suit was slimmed down, so mm-hmm. Nakajima could move around a heck of a lot better, and you know, especially right. with the fight scenes. And they redesigned the head, and from some angles, that Godzilla's head looks fine, but then from others, are just like, oh no. <laughs> Well, the, he's got, from the, he's got you, know, uh, you know, big old, big old ugly teeth, which I'm sure WHG3 knows all about. <laughs> oh, yes. that's a low blow, man. He can't help it. He, I, he can't help that. Well, you know, British stereotypes and all of that. They exist for a reason. But so it just it looks kind of odd, to be honest, you know, from certain angles. It's mostly Mainly, the same design as 54, but it still looks a little yeah. strange. Not, I mean, yeah, the, this Godzilla is a lot more slimmed down. The dorsal plate, the dorsal plates are essentially the same, but they're shaped a little bit more weird, random, jaggedly, I guess. They're not as, they're honestly not as uniform, even as 1954. The suit, as far as the head goes, he's he has this extremely long neck, which I don't remember 54 ever having. Even any Godzilla, for that matter, having an extremely long neck outside of maybe 68. He looks fine from certain angles, mainly the side angle and maybe three-fourths angle. But straight away, he looks like your goofy inbred cousin. <laughs> well, you do live perilously close to Kentucky, so you would not. I do. Yes, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> our, our friends in Kentucky, I'm so sorry. but Hey, but according, st- to, according to my analytics, this show is big in Arkansas, so I think I'm fine. I'm <laughs> Oh yeah, you de- you definitely got some goofy inbred cousins down in Arkansas. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but like I said, first kaiju fight in this, and wow, it's brutal. If you're used to the you're basically the kaiju wrestling that you get later, oh my gosh! <laughs> right, it's not even as it's like I, I think even Steve pointed this out in their it was either Steve or Ed that pointed this out in the commentary that. In later Godzilla fights, you know, there's usually like some very kind of 
mammalian humanistic strategy involved with Godzilla and the other kaiju. But this, it's just raw, animalistic, and extremely just violent energy. This is like, I know Gigan gets a lot of recognition for being the first film to see Godzilla bleed, but my God. Like this fight is is this fight is brutal. Like especially mm-hmm. the end shot where you know Godzilla grabs Anguirus by the neck, and you can just see the it's in black and white, but you can still tell that mm-hmm. there's supposed to be blood coming out of Anguirus's neck. And then it, he sets him just, on fire. And he sets him on fire, which I have to ask, why didn't Godzilla just use his atomic breath the whole time? Because bef- like <laughs> I know I know that in the Heisei era, it just becomes no, a he- light. Sh- he tried, it could, remember? It, be, it was just a mildly irritating mist. And then when Anguirus was oh, mostly God. dead, then he was flammable. I don't so understand it, okay. how that works. Gotcha. So it basically it was just it was just like a kaiju lugi or a kai, or a kaiju spittle <laughs> that never materialized into atomic breath. Gotcha. Okay. I guess. Apparently it's got to be a little bit farther away. <laughs> Maybe I don't. I I don't know. I'll talk to the I'll talk to the resident kaijuologists and find out how all that works. I'm sure. I would really like to know what kind of weird pseudoscience they come up with to explain that one. Uh, I would love to. Uh, The sad thing is, is they probably consult with fans about it, which not the most scientific way of figuring these things out. But who am I to question the experts, right? I mean. I question you all the time. <laughs> yeah, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> but I mentioned before that there are some shades, despite the fact that this is that more optimistic view mm-hmm. of post-war Japan, there are some shades of the war in this. There are. Uh, yeah. Rifle Har- uh, talked about in his commentary about how our two leads, Kobayashi and his buddy, you know, running off, because it sounds, if I remember correctly, I think they mentioned in passing that they do have some war experience. You know, so they served during World War II, and mm-hmm. now they're survey pilots. Mm-hmm. You know, so they found good things to do in civilian life post-war, which is good. So you know, once they, all the kaiju are running amok and doing things, they are quick to just run off and help their boss try to keep the cannery, their workplace, safe, and they're leaving the women behind. And rifle likened right. that to. Japanese soldiers obeying their commander, and then the one woman that we see, I think it's Hidemi. Correct me if I'm wrong, all right, Jimmy? And she's left behind, and she's worrying about her fiancé the whole time. That's She's supposed to be representative of the women who were left behind during the war, and we're always worried. Uh So there's that. And then also the fact that they're doing blackouts because they figure out Godzilla is angered by light, so they start doing blackouts. That's a wartime thing. Whole citywide blackout so that... Bombers couldn't figure out where their targets were. You know, so there's some wartime experience and imagery that's being used there. And you know, it was done in America and in London as well. So it wasn't just Japan. Right. Yeah, because this is the time before you know, like infrared and night vision, mm-hmm. you know, came into play. You can't like now, you know, military planes and jets and and, mm-hmm. and fighter and and fighter jets are they come equipped with, you know, night vision technology this you just kind of had to guess you had to know kind of where your targets are just by you know using your own eyeballs so you know it's it's not as like this movie does have some shades of the war in it it's not as explicit though as 
as in 54. And I, and I cannot remember exactly what rifle or Ed said during the commentary. Basically it was how 1954 was an allegory for the bomb raids again is an allegory for something else that I, that, that, what he said is escaping me right now. Yeah. Maybe I know that he said that a lot of people liken Godzilla 54 to being like Hiroshima and this movie is Nagasaki. You know, two big historical events, but people remember Hiroshima more than Nagasaki because Nagasaki was second and Hiroshima was mm -hmm. first. Th so this is the Nagasaki, as he put it, of the Godzilla franchise. It's important, and it happened, but nobody talks about it nearly as much because it wasn't first. <laughs> right. Well, and I have to ask, just from a fan's perspective... Why do people hate this movie so much? Like this is I don't think it's that it's hated. I think it's just overshadowed. Well, no, I have talked to fans that will say that will put this on their I hate this so much list. Right there with, of course, Godzilla's Revenge, aka All Monsters Attack, but that film is getting a reevaluation by some people in the fan base. So why not raids again? Why can't raids again give be given the same treatment? I think it's partly through ignorance because it was widely unavailable for a long time and i also think it's also because the the dub version soured it for a lot of people because the dub well version, the, the dub version does it no favors <laughs> well the no the dub version does it no favors because the dub version has this notorious little tick about it where it it, it states the obvious yeah yep. but in the one place that it should have been more explanatory like when they're on the island getting ready to trap Godzilla, it would have been nice to have the commentary to explain what the military was actually doing. That would have been appropriate. Like the one time the narrator was silent was the whole, was the part where maybe it would have been actually useful. Possibly. Although what's interesting is since you're bringing that up and then I'm going to backtrack to one more thing. I want to say one more thing about the war, uh, war imagery sure. is that, <laughs> This movie is arguably, arguably the closest time we ever have a purely military solution that solves the problem in a Japanese Oh, yeah, because there's film. no, yeah, because there's no assist from another monster. There's no, like, pseudo-sciency, you know, weird thing that they do to stop Godzilla. It's mm -hmm. just a strictly military it's, solution. I would say it's not strictly military. Now, they didn't figure it out until the accidental kamikaze <laughs> by Kobayashi. Uh, yeah, uh, and then I guess. they're like, oh wait, that's what we can do, which basically involved them not using their weapons on Godzilla and involved them using the environment. So the argument could be made that it wasn't strictly military. It was the military using the environment to their advantage. It's not like Godzilla uh, 98 where it's just shoot him enough and he dies. So <laughs> I mean, probably, yeah, yeah. It's like, but we don't talk about Godzilla '98 all that much. <laughs> I, I like that movie too, but I like this one more. Mm, uh, as you should. But <laughs> see, I'm not a complete. I'm not a complete monster. No, you're only ninety percent. Yeah. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> but anyway, talk about the wartime imagery. There is one scene that I would dare say it actually manages to. It's the one scene that I feel like it rises up to Godzilla 54 levels, which is that scene with the girl in her house. And she's far away from Osaka, but she sees Osaka in the distance. It's at night and Osaka's on fire because the kaiju are mm -hmm. running around. And uh, the scene is silent. There's not even any music. You just hear a little bit of sound effects. 
and she's just looking off and this actress is communicating purely by facial expressions and you can see the worry on her face because she's thinking, you know, my friend and my fiance are both over there right now and I don't know if they're okay. Well, it's also tragic because, you know, she's safe, but she's watching all of this chaos and tragedy unfolding. She bakes, she essentially has a front row seat to the chaos and there's nothing she can do about it. Yeah. And it's, it's way off in the distance too. So it's, you know, it's really far away. So she really can't tell exactly what's Mm -hmm. going on. So I thought that was actually a very effective scene. So kudos to the filmmakers for that one. I really appreciated that one. And then you have stuff like the random subplot that interrupts everything with the escaped prisoners. <laughs> and the, the worst the Keystone, and the worst Keystone cops ever. <laughs> Who in their right mind puts an actual guard in the back of a paddy wagon <laughs> with a gun? He's grossly outnumbered with a bunch of violent criminals. What do you expect to happen? <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of violent criminals that I'll add were not even in handcuffs. Yeah, I mean the whole thing was just—it's some of the worst policing I've ever seen. It's just you're just asking for trouble at that point. Some say that even though it kind of comes out of nowhere, it feels like padding. I've heard some people argue that it's an illustration of the so-called butterfly effect because it's just this long series of unrelated things that end up tied together in a weird way because they have nothing to do with the kaiju whatsoever. They well, just you show know, kinda... up and then the kaiju attack happens and they take advantage of it so they can get, you know, take out the cops and get out of the thing and then run away from the cops. But then they end up getting killed by the kaiju while they're running around doing stuff because they try to hide in a subway. And by the way, the effects in that subway sequence were actually really good. They were. Yeah, when the the subway gets flooded while Godzilla and Angerus are fighting. So mm-hmm. it was just this long series of events that's not really connected, but they end up kind of weirdly connected. There's so many coincidences that have to happen <laughs> to make this story work. <laughs> It's kind of ridiculous. Like everybody is just conveniently where they need to be <laughs> to make stuff happen. Uh, but you know, another thing that's not really coincidental because they, because good grief, do they, do they foreshadow this hard? <laughs> and that is Kobayashi's death. Uh, it's just, there was a joke. Uh, my uh, Jimmy and Joe and I made this joke when we, during episode 50 when we were stuck in space watching the war in space. And th- we made this joke. It was like, don't say that. You'll die by trope. And we get it in this. It, Kobayashi didn't read the script and he didn't realize if I show somebody a picture of my sweetheart, I'm going to die. <laughs> I mean... <clears throat> yeah, it's every science fiction-y horror movie trope that happens to have a war love movies in it. happens in war movies too happens in war movies all the time so yeah i mean they didn't hide it they foreshadowed it pretty hard there's not much yeah. else i can say yeah I, with a I, very, there's not much i can say I, it's in, in an interesting scene because i joked about it before where kobayashi just goes in there and he's talking to hidemi and he's just like what do girls want because he's there's a girl he likes and he doesn't know what to do and 
<laughs> everyone is jokingly calling him Mr. Groom the whole movie. That must be really annoying <laughs> with your engaged friend is and all your buddies are all calling you Mr. Groom and you don't even have a girlfriend. And it's just like, oh my gosh, poor guy. <laughs> They even make this joke about how, oh, Confucius says a long engagement is joy. And I'm sorry, he's wrong. <laughs> Don't people have been I mean, engaged I, for a long time and it was not fun? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, I was, you know, I, I was through, I was in a long engagement one time and it, it just wasn't fun. It's just like <laughs> it's it to a point it to a point there comes. It's like, OK, let's just get this over with. Yeah, so I kind of feel sorry for him, but he comes to, oh, he's asking for girl advice, and she's like, they want handbags. I'm like, wow, we truly have we westernized have at this point. We have come such a long way. <laughs> we have come such a long way. Apparently, yeah, so apparently, there you go, fellas. You know, if, if, Elijah, if you need help finding a lady, a little lady gatekeeper for yourself, here's the secret. Buy her a purse purses okay so here's the secret to a woman's heart purses jewelry or and people are gonna hate me for this cookware yes yes oh before we wrap some things up with this part of the discussion i did i should i should have mentioned this we were talking about the volcano monsters and if i don't mention this your fellow mifv max member will not let me hear the end of it but you know who was the brains behind that trying to get it made ib melchior what? Who? Ib Melchior. And I have to bring that up because he's the writer-director for Reptilicus. <laughs> oh, my There you go, Damon. Because <laughs> apparently a lot of the ideas that he had for the Volcano Monsters ended up in Reptilicus. <laughs> okay. And they now- nobody knows what happened to those suits that got sent over to the States for them to use. Well, there's speculation they got stolen. Well, one of them got stolen, but they did actually unearth a photograph where the, the Godzilla suit was posing with the Phantom of the Opera. Interesting. Yes. Huh. The Phantom of the Opera is here with Godzilla. <laughs> oh, wow. That was unexpected. I don't. Jimmy, has Nate been drinking? <laughs> Slander. Slander. I thought so. I thought so. I thought uh. so. Tell me this, Jimmy. Is, is he an Apple Teeny kind of guy? Because that's what he sounds. That's what he seems like. He's a little bit. He's a little. Uh, okay. All right. So he is definitely a Roman Coke kind of person. Okay. I mean, he dances and he's a little light on his feet. So I just assumed he was hey, more of an, an Apple Teeny kind was, of guy. No, no. That was that was my grandmother's favorite drink. How dare you? Rum and Coke or yes. Apple Teenies? Rum and Coke. Oh, okay. That's right. Okay. So rum and Coke. So that is your, that's your drink of choice is rum and Coke. Yes. Okay. In honor of my grandmother. So, so shut your big fat yapper. Anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway, and just for just a fun little fact, Gigantus, the fire monster was released on double bill with teenagers from outer space. Yeah. Yeah. Which I've sure seen was. on MST3K. <laughs> okay. I haven't seen that episode, but I've seen. Yeah. Teen- also, Shreedman. Uh, also, Shreedman, who was one of the producers on this movie. Mm-hmm. You talked about how yours like this movie confused you. Well, they said that a lot of people thought that they changed the name because they thought Godzilla, the name Godzilla, was copyrighted and they couldn't use it. That wasn't the case at all. Producer Shreedman actually said that they changed it to Gigantus so it wouldn't be confused with Godzilla. Except but that's what it, it is. But it is. <laughs> Godzilla. Yeah. 
that's uh yeah that's a tiny bit confusing yeah <laughs> so after this movie the reason godzilla went on a long hiatus is because toho focused on more of its science fiction yep mysterians films. rodan they did other kaiju mothra yeah all in outer space yeah. they literally put godzilla on ice for a little while after this movie Indeed. <laughs> and then he made one heck of a comeback. This uh, this is nowhere because it's the only other Godzilla film that's in black and white. So there's only two in existence, and this is the other one, So which might be a turnoff to some people as well because some people are weirdly anti-black and white movie. I don't understand what's wrong with you people. <laughs> I will admit, I saw someone recolor Shin Godzilla to black and white, and honestly, it made it a better movie. Hmm. Interesting. I'll have to look that up sometimes, but we've talked a lot about the differences between this and what happens to the poor thing in the dub, but I'll uh, rattle off a few more that we haven't quite talked about. So we talked about the prologue and it tries really hard to eliminate those connections to the first movie, which we've talked about already. It's got a lot of that narration never shuts up and it tell, just describes everything that's going on. It's so completely unneeded. Weirdly enough, it shuts up during that scene I talked about with the girl. Mm-hmm. It's the one place it shuts up. So it's like even the the people working on the uh, working on the dub for this are like, you know what? This is the one part where we need to shut up. <laughs> we talked about uh, people working on the dub. So I made the joke earlier about uh, Yogi Kobayashi. That's because Kobayashi was dubbed by Dawes Butler, who is best known for voicing Yogi Bear. (laughs) There are points where I keep waiting. I keep waiting for Kobayashi to be like, Hey, Godzilla, you want a picnic basket? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, Angiris, uh, you want a big basket? <laughs> and I call you boo-boo. Uh, no, uh, I will not give you a pic. I do not want a picnic basket, Yogi. <laughs> and then sometimes they overdub Godzilla's voice. Like, this is the one movie where Godzilla is dubbed. <laughs> yeah, it's like someone in the sound editor. It's like someone in the sound room, the, the editor's booth said, you know... They're both they're both the same monster, right? So they should sound the same. Uh yeah. So he gets dubbed with Angerus's voice, which is just weird. Mm-hmm. The music makes things unnecessarily comical. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like this movie was you know, was the gravest of movies compared to the to Godzilla fifty four, but it wasn't a comedy either. It's just weird. And Gigantus just sounds about as B movie as you can get. And then, you know, the greatest offense we've already talked about was the, you know, was inserting the documentary on intelligent design. Yeah, and the tone's all over the place. But we have to talk about the most infamous (laughs) addition in the dub. You know what what I'm talking about. What could could it be? Whatever whatever could it be, Marchand? I don't know, but, you know... I'm surprised it's something I haven't heard my friend Raymond say. I'm, you know, but you know, but uh, banana oil. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I don't have to worry about that getting bleeped, even though that basically meant exactly the sort of thing that would get you bleeped on the show. So, <laughs> and like, the, was it was it the modern equivalent to bullshit? Yes. Where's okay. Jet? Jet's uh, Jet's working overtime with you around. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> but the I funny mean, thing is, uh, it was like a, it was it was a that was a phrase in the twenties and thirties, and even in the fifties, they said like that was an outdated phrase by that. Like George Takei told the stories like when they were recording the dub and they got to that part of the script, everybody was laughing. It was like nobody says this anymore. <laughs> well, it was because it was because the dubbers were just trying to find something that matched the lips of yeah. the actors and actors. Yeah, because he That's said because it in the Japanese. The character says uh, Bakara, which is, well, it, that, it usually means idiot, which means he's, the guy's calling his fiance an idiot. That's just rude. Although Criterion translated it as nonsense. Mm. Oh, like, okay. How very, how very PC of them. Yeah, I guess. It's just weird. Although in the, the they tried to give that character in the dub version a character because he's talking about how he's not very brave and it, even rifle point. It was like, dude, you fly survey planes. How are you doubting your courage? <laughs> it's, it's goofy. It's, it's all incredibly goofy. Yeah. It's goofy, but I will say the, I'm not one of those people who is going to flip out over a dub, even a bad dub, and be like, how dare you insult this movie and you're ruining the reputation of the franchise. And I get it. That's probably true. People watch the dub version of this movie and they think that's what all Godzilla movies are like and stuff like that. But you know what? I can separate myself from all of that and just be like, ah, this dub is unintentionally funny. <laughs> well, between all between all the banana oil and corns and, you know, <laughs> All the things like these dubs, like I don't have a problem with dubs. Like I've had conversations with people about like, oh, how could you like the dub? Well, I'll tell you why I can like the dub because typically a full disclosure, if I'm going to, if I'm watching a brand new kaiju film that I've never seen before and there's a dub, I'm probably going to watch the dub first to kind of get an idea of what the heck is going on. Then I'll go watch the Japanese version because I'm lazy and don't want to read. <laughs> Dubs have their place, that's for sure. Dubs have their place. Yes, they do. Yes, yeah. they do. Yeah. Some of the best, like some of the best dubs are, of course, the Mechagodzilla dub. That's fantastic. <laughs> that's a fantastic dub. Uh, with Kunuma. Uh, <laughs> Does it make your mouth water? <laughs> Could you beat Godzilla to death? Um, <laughs> But no, that's a fantastic dub. I think the the dub for King Kong versus Godzilla, the, the film that comes after this, is fantastic. <laughs> the my if they would have just left the original Ifukabe score in the film, honestly, that would have been the perfect movie. Well, and no stupid American reporter scenes. <laughs> well, yeah, no stupid American reporters, and leave the Ifukabe score in, but just redub everything. It would be perfect. Absolutely perfect. Although, and I know we're not talking about this movie now, but the Shakespeare quote at the beginning of the movie is is pretty iconic. Uh, well, it was iconic before then because it's Shakespeare. <laughs> anyway, now we're going to make the very rough transition to talking about what in my previous podcast life when I talked about this movie was the Toku topic. I'm just going to read a few of my highlighted notes on that, which is the JSDF. Sure. The, you know, the Japanese Self-Defense Forces, because 
they play a role in this movie. There's a, they have a pretty prominent role in this, but they play a huge role in most kaiju movies, particularly from Japan. Anyway, I thought it was the Japanese silly dancing force. Oh, uh, they're a diff- That's a different JSDF. Oh, okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Sometimes they come and perform on the island, and I, oh, they're okay. usually only popular with a few of the the kids. Yeah. Yeah, oh. Some of them like to put on those inflatable Godzilla costumes and do the Shea dance. It's it's, it's kind of weird. You're yeah. so full of banana oil, Nathan. Yeah. Yes, I am. <laughs> Which is funny because I'm allergic to bananas. So, <laughs> oh, Note to sell. Bring Nate some bananas the next time I come. <laughs> uh, then uh, you're going to be uh, eating them through another orifice. But anyway. <laughs> uh, so the JSDF. So while Japan's New constitution, we're talking the post-war constitution, required the nation to renounce war. The Cold War, along with some leftist demonstrations, made more conservative leaders reconsider how to protect their nation. Then, with U.S. occupation forces being diverted to the Korean War, Japan formed the National Police Reserve in 1950, which consisted of 75,000 troops armed with light infantry weapons. This was basically a loophole to get around Article 9 which said that they okay. renounced war. So they okay. so when the JSDF started, they were a glorified police force because they couldn't have a quote-unquote real military. The Treaty of Mutual Cooperation and Security between the United States and Japan stated that U.S. forces would deal with external threats to Japan while the Japanese forces dealt with internal threats and natural disasters, which you see throughout all of these movies. So it makes sense that it's the JSDF that is engaging with kaiju as opposed to the alliance with the United States being activated to come deal with it most of the time because it's considered an internal matter. And this is actually okay. brought up in Gamera 2. This, it's the only kaiju movie I can think of where they actually mention Article 9 by name and talk about how this is an internal matter, so I'm activating the self-defense forces to, to take care of this. Truly the best Gamera movie. Uh-huh. This, uh, so at the time in 1952, they named, it wasn't the Self-Defense Force, it was the National Security Force. And then on July 1st, 1954, just four short months before the release of Godzilla, the National Security Force was reorganized into the Japanese Self-Defense Forces, which included ground, maritime, and air forces. And it was all under the command of a guy named General Keizo Hayashi. He was their first chairman. So, Article 9 was interpreted as not denying Japan the right of self-defense. I've been talking about this. So, they worked on creating the SDF with the U.S.'s help. However, anti-military sentiment from the public called the SDF's constitutionality into question well into the 1970s and even the 1980s. So, the government was wary of making defense decisions for fear of backlash, which... Hence why it was kind of a big deal in Gamera 2 when they actually showed the prime minister and he said, mm. I'm activating the self-defense forces to deal with this. Which is something that they just, these Godzilla films, they don't even bother with that. They just go off and do stuff until you get to Shin Godzilla where they don't talk about Article 9 by name, but they show the bureaucratic mess that can hold up military action and how that screwed everything up. <laughs> So, while Japan typically restricts military spending to less than 1% of their GNP, the JSDF has slowly grown into the eighth largest military budget in the world. In fact, in 2013, the National Council of Defense, run by the LDP, which is a political party in Japan, proposed a full-scale, quote-unquote, rearmament of Japan, calling the restrictions placed on Japan after World War II outdated. 
the JSDF has kind of become the face of the whole debate about Article 9 in Japan. Because okay. it, it's still going on to this day. Their primary focus is on North Korea and then China. Is anyone surprised? <laughs> so fearless leader is a problem over there? Yes. Or, okay. It's dear leader. Oh, dear. I am dear leader. Yes. Dear leader. Not uh, fearless leader is dealt <laughs> is Boris in the Tosh's boss. Yeah. Oh, yes, it is very true. Okay, yes, yes. got you. And as of 2013, Japan now spends 3% of the national budget on defense. Might be, It's uh-huh. probably different now. And no surprise, given the, the U.S. occupation, the JSDF is structured very similarly to the U.S. military. The prime minister is the commander-in-chief with authority running down to a minister of defense. Okay. And they're advised by a joint chief of staff that ha- okay. uh, in each of the three branches. And okay. the three, and I've mentioned the three branches already. So you know, you have the ground defense force, which is basically the army, the Japan Maritime Force, that's their navy, and the air defense force, so it's their air force. And these include five armies, five maritime districts, and three air defense forces. Okay. Japan's defense policy has changed since the occupation, while its constitution forbids war with increasing nuclear threats from North Korea and the threat of cyber terrorism. The JSDF contributes to such things as UN peacekeeping operations as a quote-unquote protective contributor to peace. To that end, it established the National Security Council in December 2013, a forum to regularly discuss security concerns with the prime minister. In fact... The Diet passed a U- the UN peacekeeping cooperation in 1992 that allowed the JSDF to participate in non-combat positions in UN operations. That was a big deal. Was it Atkins or gluten-free? <laughs> Both. Uh, <laughs> Article 83 of the Self-Defense Forces Law in 1954, again the year Godzilla was released, requires the JSDF to respond to calls to aid by prefecture governors for disaster relief, including firefighting, earthquakes, and reinforcing embankments and levees in case of flooding. Oh, my. Why do you think they always respond to the kaiju attacks? Because those kaiju are basically walking natural disasters. So they got to evacuate people. Mm-hmm. They got to deal with you know things like the flooding, like the flooding we saw in this movie. <laughs> And then 2004 saw a turning point in Japan's history when 600 JSDF ground troops were deployed into Iraq to assist with reconstruction efforts at the behest of the U.S. This was the first time since World War II Japan had made a major troop deployment. It was a controversial decision dividing public opinion since the constitutionality of this operation seemed tenuous. (laughs) The administration of Prime Minister Koizumi, however, made sure the troops were protected by Japanese special forces and the Australian military and prohibited troops from firing on Iraqi insurgents unless fired upon first. Their mission was intended to be purely humanitarian to comply with the Constitution. Okay. Mm -hmm. And finally, the JSDF has long had recruitment problems. Their forces are dwindling a little bit, unfortunately. Post-war apathy and antipathy toward the military has made most citizens reluctant to join. Most recruits are, quote-unquote, persuaded volunteers, (laughs) and usually from more rural areas of the country. Retaining personnel has also been a problem, as many recruits are lured away by better-paying civilian jobs. However, with Japan's severe labor shortage, this is a common problem for all industries. So there you go. 
That was really interesting, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It's one of the, it's interesting to know that and then look at how the military is portrayed in these kaiju films. As I've, uh, I've heard some people say that uh, they think of the military portrayal in Godzilla 54 as ambivalent. It's not really positive or negative. Mm-hmm. And then some interpret, particularly the Showa Godzilla films, as kind of being a little bit more negative. I kind of disagree with that. I think it's more just they know that in a situation like this, this is going to happen. So they just, they have to be there. And also right. it, it became part of the trope at that point. Right. In, in all honesty though, and like without fooling around, it is interesting to know that backstory because it does help give a lot more interesting context. Say when, when you watch these films, because it's, it's easy, especially for us in the West to compare the, everything that goes on in these Japanese films to what we're, what we're personally familiar with with our military and our military operations. So knowing a little of the back, little bit of the backstory, backstory of the JSDF does, you know, it does help create a little bit better context to what we're watching mm-hmm. because it, they, they are different. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. And the attitudes toward them are different as well. It's a little bit complicated with how the constitution is set up over there and the, the culture that that has created because there is a passive a potent pacifistic streak in japan but mm. they've also there you know, there's there's that but they also have to deal with the reality of they have hostile neighbors so right what do you do at that point and you know, they don't necessarily I mean, you, just want to be completely dependent on the u.s to take care of things for them right i mean we all i, I think that every country has a right to defend themselves and, and japan and japan is no different mm-hmm mm-hmm and I also don't think that they, anybody has anything to worry about. Even if a bunch of nationalists take over the Japanese government, they just are not in a position to start Imperial Japan Part 2. It's just not happening. <laughs> no, it, they, they don't have the resources to do that. They don't. They really don't. But that is a discussion for a whole other day. So unless you've got anything else to bring up, Michael, I've basically run through all of my important notes. I'm trying to think here if there's anything that's of any importance to bring up before we we close out this discussion. Now, I do remember we were talking earlier about how I think it was, was it Eiji Tsuburaya who was a big fan of King Kong. Yes. Uh, King Kong 33. It was brought up in that documentary, the commentary that both you and I watched, I believe, where they said that in the final scene where Godzilla's fighting the jets, mm-hmm. uh, they think that that was sort of an homage to mm-hmm. when King Kong fought the biplanes mm-hmm. in 33. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't surprise me at all, knowing how yeah. huge a fan of that film that Tsuburaya was. I mean, the, the effects in this movie are incredibly impressive. I know this movie gets a bad, has sort of a, I don't want to say a bad reputation. I Like I said, it, it, people don't like it for some reason, and I've never really been able to get a straight answer as to why outside of, oh, Godzilla just looks goofy. <laughs> like, okay, so? And the dub sucks. It's like, okay, so? What else makes it bad? Like, can you not go any, like, it's it's a pretty well-written story. The characters are likable. The monster, it is the first Godzilla movie we get a monster fight in. So that sets the, sta- it literally sets the standard for what we know and love about the franchise. Like, you need to respect this movie more, damn it. Oh! Quit, quit, f- quit filling the ether with all of your banana oil and just get over it. 
I, I, I have to agree with you there, Jimmy. Uh, Michael is getting a little, uh, getting his Lord Gatekeeper on there. Mm, well, no, it's 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 like I just get tired. Like in the community, it's just like all this gatekeepery bullcrap. And you know, sometimes the people that rail against gatekeeping are some of the worst gatekeepers. And mm-hmm. so just allow people to enjoy the things they want to enjoy yeah. and for, for the reasons they want to enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And if you like raids again, it's one of my favorites because I'm pretty partial to it because I'm pretty nostalgic about it. Then come over to my side where the grass is greener and the girls are pretty and the over in paradise city. Yes. Where there's hopefully a heck of a lot less banana oil. Where there's a lot less banana oil. Although I have been known to spill the banana oil from time to time myself. Yes. Yes. But you know what is not banana oil? What? Whatever the next segment we're going to go into. (laughs) (laughs) We're just wrapping things up at this point. Normally, I mean, you've been listening this year. Normally, this would have been the part of the show where I would have to read a memo or a press release or whatnot uh, from the board. I was going to ask you, is there another, is there like a memo you got to read? Because I was in the back of my mind thinking, okay, so we're getting towards the end of the episode. We've probably got another, I don't know, like. 10 minutes or so before we have to read a board mandated memo. Yeah. But yeah. Now I did get something. We all got something emailed to us, but I think I'll just, I'll leave that one to let the, the board just put that out for themselves. Cause you know, it's like, I just want to see them you know, swallow their pride and put that one out. But uh, wait, are you serious, Jimmy? They just sent one. Really? They just sent you a press release. Goodness gracious. Okay. Oh, I am sorry, Michael. Apparently, uh, I need to read this. So send it over, Jimmy. Let me take a look. Oh, no. What is it? I'm, I'm waiting oh, with bated breath. Oh no! Is to see to see what type oh, of banana, no. what type oh, of banana no. oil, what type oh. of banana oil the uh, the board is getting ready to spew upon oh, us today. Oh no! Oh no! How the mighty have fallen. They're getting desperate now. They are oh. so desperate now to get people to start coming back to this island. And I have to admit, I'm a little torn because I'm like, I want more business so I can keep my job. But oh man. <laughs> Well, what is it? Like you keep saying, "Oh man, oh man, oh man." Like what? The, what the hell is it, buddy? Um, do you want the headline or the first sentence? I want. Just give me all of it. I want all of it. Okay, here you go. I am reading this verbatim, just so you know. Okay. All right. I'm ready. The Monsterland Resort will host Clifford the Big Red Dog and his owner Emily Elizabeth Howard beginning December second, twenty twenty one, until Christmas Eve. Shall I continue? Sure. While the lovable Clifford's status as a, quote, kaiju remains questionable, he and Emily's story was recently dramatized in a titular film produced by Paramount Pictures based on the children's book series by Norman Bridwell. Many festivities are planned for Clifford's time here. These will include a special screening of the new film at the Denham Theater, which will be hosted by Emily and Clifford, a kaiju dog show that will feature Clifford and his fellow canine kaiju king Caesar, Ralph of Rampage fame, and Baragon and Lady Baragon? I don't think they quite count, but they'd be a nice draw, that's for sure. 
Okay. Uh, and rides on Clifford's back for the kids and, uh, quote, kids at heart. Exclusive souvenirs will be sold in the Monster Island gift shop during Clifford's visit, which would be good Christmas gifts for the kaiju and animal-loving kids you know. Monster Island leads the world in kaijuological studies and recreation. Its Monsterland Resort hosts thousands of tourists each year who come to wonder at the largest creatures in the world. The scientific facility, headed by Dr. Jun Yoshido, continues to make breakthroughs in the understanding of these magnificent creatures and advocates for giant monster conservation and protection. Uh, okay. I don't know how I feel about this because I bringing Clifford to the Island would give someone the false security to believe he's actually a Kaiju. Well, uh, hence why they make sure to state that his Kaiju status is questionable. No, like I thought the board said months ago that they have reviewed Clifford's file and found that he is not, in fact, a kaiju. I have to say, I think this is purely a business venture. Well, it's a stupid business venture. Well, that's what happens when <laughs> you get out as a bunch is, of supervillains and nobody wants to come to your resort. <laughs> the board is full of banana oil. Yes, but they also want money. Well, this I might mean, be this not... might be the one time where capitalism trumps their super villainy. I guess. Like I mean, capitalism trumps a lot of stuff, but wow. Okay. So now I'm torn because I was going to ask Jimmy to fly me to the mainland because I was supposed to watch Clifford tonight actually because we're going to be talking about it on episode 100 of Kaiju <gasps> Weekly. Yeah, don't say. We are. Yeah, it's like that's episode by the time this episode comes out, episode 100 will already have happened, I think. Yes. Pretty sure. I mean, yeah, people so, are hearing this live on the island, but by the time it goes out in, as the podcast to the rest of the world, yes. Episode right. 100 so will by have the happened. time So by the time that happens, you know, the movie will have already passed and you know kaiju weekly have all will have already had our our hundredth episode our hundredth episode and i was going to ask jimmy to fly me back to the mainland because um you know between you and me i was supposed to have a date tonight to go watch <gasps> oh you heard it here first folks an <laughs> mif exclusive the lord gatekeeper is finding himself a lady gatekeeper well i tell you what jimmy if you'll do me a favor if you can, if I give you her address, will you go and pick her up and bring her to the island and we'll just watch it here? Awesome. Thank you so, so much, Jimmy. I really appreciate it. Oh, but I might want to go with you so she's not freaked out when you land the SY3 in her backyard. All right. Sounds like a plan, man. I appreciate it. There's a bottle of Jack Daniels in it for you. <laughs> Okay, well, I mean, one more bottle's not going to hurt you, man. Come on. No, I'm, no. It's, it's a gesture. Yeah, sure, sure. Now, we do have some things to take care of after today's broadcast. We have some paperwork that we have to fill out, so you can hang out at the island for a little bit. Go visit Angerus for a little bit, and then okay. you know, we'll take care yeah. of that for you. Sure. Okay. But now, Michael, it's time for one of my favorite segments of the show. Are you ready for this? Is it the mailbag? Wrong show. Oh. Oops. Is it our Godzuki score? Also, wrong show. Oh. 
Is it the Patreon shoutouts? Travis Alexander! Me! Eli Harris! Damon Noise! Chris Cook! Bex from Redeemed Otaku! Danny Damana! The Cellcast! Elijah Thomas, a.k.a. the littlest gatekeeper who has wrong opinions about every single thing he says on Twitter. <laughs> Tofu Fury! <laughs> you feel like you should be yelling morphin time or something like that, because don't you feel a little bit more powerful now? It's morphin time! Back to action. <laughs> insert every power ranger catchphrase here <laughs> let's rock it <laughs> shift into turbo <laughs> oh that one <laughs> detox boobs uh astronomer's really hot i mean wait hang on uh freudian slips i <laughs> uh, i have a poster of kimberly on my wall and i look at it every night before i go to bed wait hang on that is wrong that is the wrong thing hang on no you right. are that is way too much to share. To I'm quote sad. Buzz Lightyear, you are a sad, strange little man. <laughs> <laughs> on a more serious note, you, kaiju lovers, can get perks like this starting at just $3 a month by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. Also, we didn't have any listener feedback today, so please listen for the contact info during the credits so that you can send us emails to feed my mailbag, not Michael's mailbag, my mailbag, to get it read on a future episode of the show. Although I don't think my mailbag is quite as hangry as yours is. <laughs> Our mailbag is pretty hangry right now, yeah. <laughs> also buy MIFV merch on T public. That would be amazing. I'm actually working to get some more products up on the T public store. I'm working with several artists who are making some stuff for me to add to that because I mean, if the board has to resort to getting Clifford to come visit the Island for a little while, I needs to get my own <laughs> funding by Your job may not be there. as secure as you think it is. Then <laughs> well, well, we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. <laughs> but now, Michael, this is important because you're actually uh -huh. a little bit of a part of the of what we have to discuss next, which are the next episodes of the monster Island film vault. So the year of Gamera will be coming to an end. Thank God. <laughs> I was going to say some people will be sad. Some people will be happy. But we're going to be talking about Gamera the Brave, the one other good Gamera movie. <laughs> the one that I used to hate but have fondly grown to love because it reminds me of my own childhood. Yes, because the only people who don't like Gamera the Brave are the have no ones. heart or soul. Mm -hmm. Or soul. Or are an alien or a Democrat. <laughs> I'm keeping that one. <laughs> and my guest 
will be a, one of your fellow MIFV Max members, Michael. Oh. It's going to be Bex, and she's been Ooh. on a she's been on a big Pokemon kick. So I think I was accidentally genius when I asked her to be the guest for this episode, which was before she was on the Pokemon kick. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I mean, I like Bex. I think Bex will do a great job. Hopefully, word of advice to Bex, get your security clearance in early. Uh, mm-hmm. And hopefully, you won't have to do everything yourself like I had to this time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, rumor has it she might be bringing my pseudo-sister back to the island. Your pseudo-sister is a lovely creature. I say creature because I'm not fully convinced she's actually human. But hey. she is a... Hey, She's a I, love- might, I, I, I might not get along with her all the time, but how dare you deny her? I mean, she's kind of hot, too. Not going to lie. Hey, back off, buddy. <laughs> back off, buddy. I don't care if she's my pseudo sister or my real sister. I will go into big brother mode over this. <laughs> of course, she's also, uh, of course, you know, she may or may not be a magical girl. So have fun with that. She might turn you into a toad or something. Hey, you don't know. I may be into that. Well, sure, you weirdo. Anyway, (laughs) and then after that, it's hard to believe, Michael. It's Mm -hmm. hard to believe. But after that will be our season finale here on MIFV. And it's a Patreon-sponsored episode. In fact, it's one sponsored by you. That's coming up soon? Yes. Really? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'll be back sooner than what I anticipated. Then. Yes. The thing is, is I still don't know what it's going to be over because you haven't told me. Being all well, top secret is secrety about this. I wanted to keep it a surprise, honestly, and I think I still want to try to keep it a little bit close to the vest. But let me just say this: your listeners, especially the, my fellow Patreon people that are the proud sponsors of the MIFV podcast will be green with envy when they Ooh. have to listen to that episode. Hmm. So Angley's Hulk, you say? Possibly. Hmm. That but might be a little controversial. Okay, so I'm just going to I'm just going to tell you it's Flubber. Oh, dang it. I do like Robin Williams though. I do. God bless Robin Williams. May yes. he rest in peace. Yes. Without Robin Williams, I wouldn't have my greeting for this show. Because good morning, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, no episode of MIFV is complete without shameless self-promotion. So what do you have for us today, Mike? I'm excellent at shameless self-promotion. So, okay, so I'm, my you name is Michael. You might be almost as spiritually gifted at it as I am. I am very... I'm actually probably more spiritually gifted at it than you, just saying. But I'm Michael. You can find me as co-host on the Kaiju Weekly Podcast. We are a podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies, not just Gamera, not just Godzilla, not just Ultraman, but we like to cover all the things. And by the time your listeners hear this episode, we we will have already hit our 100th episode milestone, and we will be in the middle of an extended sabbatical. So if if you are new to Kaiju Weekly, we will be going on sabbatical until January of 2022. That's just so that Travis and I can get a rest and work on some passion projects, some pretty powerful passion projects, might I add. I was going to say, you might want to bring that up because we've technically already announced it. Right. So you came uh, on Henshin Men 
or rather I dragged you onto Henshin Net and we talked about it. <laughs> yeah, I was on my way from I was on my way from vacation back in the States and and Nate, and I get a long distance call from Nate saying, Hey, can you record long distance today for Henshin Man? I was like, sure, what are we talking about? The unaired pilot for Power Rangers done my friend yeah which was especially Um, impressive because you're like i want to take a nap you want to talk power rangers okay fine the nap can wait (laughs) and then i and then we talked about it and then i took a nap that's exactly (laughs) how my day went yes um but that passion project that powerful passion project but that powerful passion project so basically i like uh, the alliteration (laughs) the powerful passion project that i'm talking about that's going to be particularly powerful and we're going to pontificate over Power Rangers <laughs> in a little project that Nathan and I are calling The Power Trip, a journey through the Power Rangers franchise, which will be a bi-weekly podcast that we're not, we don't, we're not going to do what other Power Rangers podcasts do, where we talk about episode by episode. This is going to be a limited series. We're going we're gonna to spend the year of 2022 talking about each season of the Power Rangers per episode because I have been on my Mm. own personal Power Rangers journey through the franchise and I was almost there until Netflix decided to be (laughs) I'm sorry until Netflix decided to pull their banana oil and take Power Rangers off of Netflix most of it most of it most of it there's still some left over there so I wanted to drag Nathan along and we're going to talk about the Power Rangers franchise because you know I'm a longtime Power Rangers fan Mm-hmm. I think I'm. I think I'm a bigger Power Rangers fan even than Godzilla. If, if I'm even allowed to say that on this podcast, but sorry, big guy, I know you're listening. But yeah, I, I drug Nathan along because he's been on his own personal little power journey. We've even had mm-hmm. like Ju, we've had Ju lunches and power lunches mm-hmm. together, and so we're gonna take the year of 2022 and do a biweekly podcast starting in January talking about each mm-hmm. season of the Power Rangers. I mean, it's going to be as in-depth as we can possibly make it, but it's going to be a lot of fun. We're just going to kind of cover the themes and our favorite episodes and our impressions and maybe by the end of it, rank them as to far mm-hmm. as far as like what our favorite seasons are. Uh, I can already tell you what Nathan's favorite season is. It's Turbo. <laughs> Lies! <laughs> It's Turbo, and his favorite movie fake is news. Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. So uh, much fake t- news. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we're going to be doing together. That's one of the that's the powerful passion project that I was talking mm-hmm. about. And not to I'm brag, all, not to brag, but not to brag, but yeah, yeah. I did meet a ranger. Found turned out she was uh, I was she was actually kind of one of my bosses here for a while, and I might have seen the Dragon Zord a few weeks ago. Well, I got to ride on Serpentera, so I guess that's this that counts true. as that Serpentera. counts for that counts for something. Serpentera Mark so, Three, yeah. Mark, yeah, it wasn't the OG. I wish it was the OG because that man, I'd like to see the inside uh, of that. I, like, I, I'm not sure the OG is even around anymore. Probably not. That thing just had some power issues, kind of like my but, laptop, but. <laughs> <laughs> But back to, you know, a little bit on Kaiju Weekly, just really quickly, I wanted to kind of continue what I said there. By the time you guys listen to this, we're going to be on break. We are going to have a bonus episode come out 
sometime in probably, I think it's scheduled for December while we're gone. We're going to do an interview with a fellow creator in the Godzilla community. So please be looking for that. But we will return in January of 2022 with all new episodes and maybe a little bit of a tweaked format. We don't know yet. I'm going to talk to Travis about that. Mm-hmm. All right. Also, our co-host in common. <laughs> our co-host in common. Yeah. For ha! better or for <laughs> I just realized that was an unintentional pun. <laughs> For better or for worse, our co-host in common. Also, I am the co-creator and the co-publisher of Kaiju Rama Magazine, which is a magazine that you, my dear friend, write for on occasion Mm -hmm. and do an excellent job at. It is a fan magazine. Basically, if anyone does not know by now what Kaiju Ramen is, I don't know if you if you don't know what it is, then shame on you. It is a fan-focused magazine written for Kaiju fans, by Kaiju fans. We just like to celebrate the genre and the community of Kaiju lovers, just like you guys out there. And we publish quarterly. We publish a digital version and a limited run of printed versions. There are still printed versions of issue three left. Surprise, surprise. Thank God we ordered extra ones this time around. So you can go and check out those and purchase a copy for yourself because the holidays are coming up, people. And if Mm -hmm. you have a significant other that is also a Kaiju fan and you want to get them a really special gift, go over to kaijuramamagazine.com slash shop and Mm -hmm. get them a copy of issue three Mm -hmm. or a digital copy of all the other issues that are available. And I'm sure they would really, really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Outside of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, If Kobayashi was around today, I think we would say, Hey, make the lady gatekeeper in your life. Happy Buy her Kaiju ramen. That's no (laughs) banana oil. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I like it. I wish that was, I wish that was how I'll write that copy for you. You can make that ad. I wish that that was how we were signing this episode off, but but alas, we are not. Um, Outside of that, I'm just kind of roaming around on Twitter, just trying to cause trouble where I can. Well, Um, you should probably mention this. I know it's it's basically done, but you did have another show for a while that if people need something to listen to. Oh, yeah. I I forget about that one. Honestly, it's the Kaiju Groupie podcast. It was a podcast that I did with a bunch of fellow fans, just like Nathan and and our friend Danny and Travis and others, where I sat down and had one-on-one interviews with other Kaiju lovers out in the community. And it ran for about 12 episodes. A lot of great guests on there, like Frankie B. Washington, the the, the comic book artist, Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project, you, Nathan, Lisa Knapp-Zigger, who is another fantastic artist, Kaiju Hime, and some others that I'm probably forgetting right now. But yeah, it was a lot of fun to to talk to those guys and and girls on the show. And it's no longer in publication. I doubt that it's going to come back at this point. And I always used to say that it was going to come back at some point. But honestly, given my schedule now, I doubt it. I I doubt that I have time, honestly, for a one-on-one show like that. Yeah, but... That gap is being filled by our friend and my previous guest on Mm -hmm. the show for Gamera 3, Kaiju Kim, with her live stream. It is. I'm glad that people like Kim exist because, you know, they, you know, uh, Kim has certainly picked up the mantle of being the person to go to for a one-on-one interview. In fact, I don't know when it's, I think it's supposed to be out at the time of this publication, but she actually has an interview with Norman England coming out about his brand new book. So I'm mm-hmm. super happy for Kim. I, you know, congratulations to Kim and all that she's doing with her YouTube channel. You know, we really, really appreciate her at Kaiju Ramen and Kaiju Weekly. She's been a huge, you know, she's been a fan of ours and a huge support and, just a huge inspiration for Travis and I, and we just really appreciate her. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. All right. With that, like I said, 
I've got some things to take care of, Jimmy and I, after today's broadcast. So, Jimbo, get over it. Cue credits. Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you enjoy the show and want to join the discussion, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Your message could be read on a future episode of the show. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault and on Twitter where our handle is at themonsterisla1. You can also follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy and the Monster Island Board of Directors at Monster Isla BOD. I have fulfilled my contractual obligations! And be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and Twitch. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive Live Edit by B33J, Sarax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and The Open Way, Battle with the Colossus by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon, the Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas Media production. Sayonara! Raymond's here? Okay, tell Gary to... Good to see you, Marshand. And you too, Crane. Here's the official documents for the class action lawsuit against those dastardly bastards we call bosses. Oh, jeez, that's a lot! I just need you and Crane to sign on the dotted lines on page 29, 42, 77, 83, and 101 to 120. Um, okay, but... I also came here to tell you that with no paralegal assistance and the island's future in doubt, I will be closing the legal action team's office and going into early retirement. Early? It's, yes, it's just, um... It's just that I haven't been the same without Gary. He was... Very nearly my right arm. My Man Friday, the son I never had. Son I never had time to have. He was the perfect, perfect person. Shut up and brought me coffee every morning, donuts, the the, the good kind with the sprinkles. Say something, Gary. I I would, but yeah. I I hope you understand. I mean. Now, now, please, excuse me, because I need to visit the crapper, and but I'll be right back. Hey, Raymond, uh, need me to deliver those legal documents for you? Gary? Gary, you're alive! <laughs> it's good to see you again, Gary. I knew there was no way any paralegal of mine could end up as Gauss Guano. <laughs> right. But wait until you hear how it happened. It's quite a story. He can tell me all about it while filling out the forms to make himself legally undead. I'm not a zombie, Raymond. On Monster Island, you could never be too sure. He has a point. Ah, I'm in the market for a new paralegal. Want the job? Do I ever? But, uh, Raymond, can I be honest with you? Always, Gary. Well, I was thinking we might want to hire a full-time investigator to help us with our cases so I could focus on 
other jobs. Hmm. Our own gumshoe, you say? I don't see why not. Do you have anyone in mind? Oh, yeah. Osaka-san. The Osako. The guy who survived encounters with Gamera's greatest foes despite a horrible streak of bad luck. Get him on the horn with me right now and he's got the job. Awesome. I hate to interrupt this happy little reunion, but what happened to your accent there, Raymond? What in blazes are you talking about, Marshand? When you saw Gary alive, your transatlantic accent suddenly disappeared. You must have a bad case of reefer madness, Marshand, because I've talked like I've always talked since I spoke my first word. Capital! As a kiddo. Ah, of course. Now, Gary... In a pig's eye! Huh. <laughs>